Welcome to Employing Differences, a conversation about exploring the collaborative space between individuals. I'm Karen Gimnig. And I'm Paul Tevis. Each episode, we start with a question and see where it takes us. This week's question is, what if there's no such thing as failure? Failure is such a juicy topic. Uh, I think such an emotionally loaded word. And I think what's interesting is that in a lot of the work that we do, we talk about wanting to be in a space where it's safe to fail, where we can learn from failure. Um, and I think in working with groups around that, we struggle sometimes working through people's relationship to the concept of failure. So we wanted to spend some time exploring like what that is and what that really means um, and how it shows up. Yeah, I think it starts really young. I mean, when you just think about the grades are, are not A, B, C, D, E. We skip the E so we can get to the great big fat F for failure <laughs> right from the beginning. So almost as soon as we can talk, we have this incredible, shaming, hurtful, negative implication around the word failure, the concept of failure. Failure is a bad, bad thing you want to avoid at all costs is written into our earliest sort of development of going out into the world. And there's a real cost to that uh, because what happens when we get hooked by failure uh, which is really just that our expectations around something weren't met. Um, and I think we'll come back to that. But when we get hooked by it, we can fall into a pretty deep cycle. Uh, we can really let our emotional reaction overpower what is, from an objective viewpoint, actually happening. Um, and I think it's important to kind of take back some power from that. Um, I used to do a lot of improv theater, and uh, in improv, we talk sometimes about the notion of the failure bow. Uh, this comes from uh, the idea that there, there are no mistakes uh, in improv, right? There are only happy accidents, uh, and, and the idea that there are no mistakes in jazz, right? And if you don't, uh, if you're not making mistakes, you're making a mistake. I forget which of seven different jazz musicians I've heard that attributed to. But the failure bow is the notion that when you do something which you might regard as a failure, where things didn't go the way you were expecting or the way that you were hoping, you, you announce that and you own it. And you say, I have failed. And you take the big failure bow. Uh, <laughs> And the reason why that can be valuable to do, like from a personal standpoint, is it's, it's not letting that hang over you anymore. You're owning it rather than it owning you. You're acknowledging that that wasn't what you intended to have happen. And then you're able to, and you're pointing it out to the group too. You're like, hey, I want to acknowledge that's not what I hoped would, was going to happen. Um, and now we can move forward with it rather than just sort of being caught in that emotional vortex that I think often assigns that big F of failure. Yeah, I, I think that's really important. And I, and I think there are a lot of ways to go about it. So we can play with the word failure and shift sort of what it means within our context. We can stop using that word failure. We can contemplate sort of what our expectations are. I mean, I think one of the really interesting things about this is that I think what counts as failure is exactly as you said, it's, it's based on our expectations. And it is a construct. I mean, it, it's part of our culture, but it's not a reality of the universe. I mean, it's not like the color of the sky or a law of physics. 
it is a construct that we have within our culture that we say, we predict this is the thing that should happen, that's desirable to happen, that we're trying to make happen, and having identified that, then if that doesn't materialize in the way that we envisioned, we name that failure. And I think what we're pointing out is that that's something we choose to do. And we can choose to do something else. And we can choose to be in a space where both we don't talk about failure in the same way that we that we try and de-shame it. We try to sort of strip away the negative emotions so that the learning potential that exists when something unexpected happens. We don't very learn very much when things go the way we thought they would. No. Um, for, for better or worse, when something goes differently than we thought it would, that's our learning space. And if it's if it goes differently in a way that's pleasurable, then we look at that and go, oh, how can we do more of that? We'll learn what do we do differently to make that happen. When something goes in a way that we think is not pleasurable or that is painful in some way, we call that failure. And, and, and there's all sorts of reasons not to do that. For one thing, I th think it's almost just not even honest because almost always it's not a direct this happened, therefore that. There's almost always this complexity about it. Um, but mostly because it's not useful. All of the shame and baggage that comes with failure isn't useful, and yet we continue to construct it for ourselves. When we talk about um, the idea of, you know, what if there's no such thing as failure, I think it is important to acknowledge that that's not to say that there aren't consequences, right? That I think when we talk about, you know, it being safe to fail when we're going to do something, what we really mean is that the consequences of our expectations not being met are not so dire that we're horribly concerned about it. Um, and that, I think, when, we, when we're talking about that innovation space and, and the ideas of working in complexity and, and creating an environment where it's safe to fail, what we're really talking about is looking at the consequences of unmet expectations and saying, these are okay. Like, absolutely, we, we predict, we expect something will happen. Um, there's an important piece in, um, like, uh, Toyota Kata, um, the idea of we're gonna, we want to run some experiments to figure out what's going to happen here, where at the very beginning, we write down what we expect will happen, and then we run the experiment, and then we write down what actually happened, and comparing the two is where the learning happens. Uh, to, to what you kind of said, like, when we if we regard not meeting that initial expectation as a failure, then we do all we play all kinds of games um, that actually prevent us from being able to learn. And so I think we aren't going to run those kinds of experiments if our expectations not being met, if the consequence of that is so dire that our organization won't survive, the, the group won't survive, you know, those sorts of things. We have to be careful about how we scope those things. Um, I think that's often what what we mean when we say like failure is not an option. Uh, you know what we actually mean is we really don't like the consequences of not of this thing not happening. Um, and and I think it's important to 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 separate those things out. The idea of what the consequences might be versus what our expectations are and what the sort of emotional consequence of those not being met are. And, and I think. There are sometimes dire consequences. Oh, yeah. Right. And so where, where I sort of look at with this is the distinction between the sort of 
external, largely out of our control realities that may or may not be a direct consequence of what we did. But you know, if we don't get the bid for that thing, or we don't, you know, the the experiment didn't work, you know, the, the program didn't run the way we thought it would, whatever that thing is, th those things are going to happen. But and we don't have we don't have a choice. Like we, we can't do a lot about that. But what is happening internally, both like within oneself and especially what's happening within a team around that, we have a great deal of control over. And so a lot of, I think, the safe to fail kind of concept or what we're saying about what if there's no such thing as failure? What if we aren't going to point to anybody and say you failed? What if we live in a space where that's just not the place we go energetically? And I think the reason that matters in terms of paying attention to where failure does or doesn't exist or where we do or do not choose to bring it into our relationships and our teamwork and our self-concept around work, all of those places, is that if we live in a failure story, whether the actual failure or the potential for failure, if we live in that language of failure, we inevitably are going to push against it. We're going to push for the thing and try and drive the thing, and we're going to be in a reactive space out of fear. And more often than not, that predicts failure. Like that pushes us to because we're distracted from the really good teamwork flow, we're distracted from the innovation and the creativity because we're protecting ourselves, we're guarding against this horrible thing that's out there. And so if we just choose that relationally, there's no such thing. Relationally, energetically between us, we have positive experiences, we have negative experiences, but solidly as a team, we have belonging and we are all here and we learn some stuff and there's a next thing that happens, that it actually will predict the consequences and outcomes far more reliably to be in the direction that we want because that's where our energy is. Yeah. Well, I think that's gonna do it for us for today. So until next time, I'm Paul Tevis. And I'm Karen Gidney. And this has been Employing Differences. <laughs>